Always great to be with you on Swing Thoughts. I'm Howard Glassman, uh, humble Howard, golf spiritual leader from the Humble and Fred Show, and uh, co-host of this program along with uh, Tim O'Connor, mental performance performance coach, speaker, raconteur, <laughs> all-around all flim-flam man. Uh, yeah. Timmy, uh, his uh, latest book, of course, he, um, he kind of re... I don't know, what, what do you call it in the book world? You reimagined or re-edited, added some new stories to the feeling of greatness. Revised it. Revised, thank you. There you go. Yeah, I'm a weird guy. So Which we're all you? here. This is Swing Thoughts, brought to you by our very good friends. And, and we're pleased. I mean, I'm going to say this unofficially, but it, I guess it is somewhat officially. Uh, back for, I think, their third season, TaylorMade is our sponsor and will continue when the uh well we're just continuing we're saying that right now we're continuing with TaylorMade, and uh, we're like kids in a candy store when it comes to getting our new uh sim uh equipment and uh our sim drivers <laughs> so excited so excited, excited. And uh, anyway, I know everyone's excited. It's funny. You hear those guys on TV, Team TaylorMade. We're kind of part of Team TaylorMade. I mean, we're not in the main group. <laughs> I watch Rory on TV. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you see those commercials, that must be so much fun. It's Rory and Rom and uh, DJ and Tiger and Jason Day. And you just know those guys. You know, oh, that you know they the needling that must go on. You think of like when you go on the range at your club before men's night yeah. and all the needling that goes on. But no, but you I, I was gonna say you just know the other guys are like cool to be hanging with Tiger. Oh yeah. I like yeah, that vibe. Uh, well, I, I like the commercials. People, I think some people are the guys who hang around are also like looking to get a little bit of uh Rory's uh sparkliness right now. He's oh, yeah. really He's really like he's kind of like the guy now in terms of everybody. When you check out, you know what's happening in the tournament. Where's Rory? Okay, he's yeah. in contention. I guess I'll watch. Maybe I'll watch for a half hour on Saturday afternoon. You know, it's funny you say that because I've. It's not funny. It's interesting. I think it's a great observation because I found myself doing that. I found myself sort of checking him out now as the natural transition slash evolution. Like, Tiger gave us all he needed to give us. That comeback, that was it. You know, it ain't... It ain't. I mean, really, what's left? 83. Got to see him win number 83 somewhere along the way. And that'll yeah. be the last... That and the moment... Well, I don't know. That will be the, the next kind of emotional moment, I would say. Yeah, let's... Let's just know that last year's Masters was like the best party you ever threw in university. It just rocked. And then when you try and do it again, it's not quite the same. So let's just enjoy what we had. Yeah. I, I say, so, you know, like thinking about where he was in 2017 and even now after last weekend when Patrick Reed won. And we should talk just briefly about Patrick, but... You know, then they show the official world golf rankings, and there was Tiger number 10. And you think, you know, that's not bad for a 44-year-old guy or whatever he is. With a, with a bald spot. <laughs> Great bald spot. It's, Here it's takes more... his hat off. Here he <laughs> takes his hat off. There's less there. Yeah, and when he takes his hat off, he's ages 20 years. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's still he'll still be exciting at times. And like I said, the, the sort of only thing left for him, for me, 
He's to win number 83 and then just say, see ya. Yeah, I was thinking about how Tiger, how he's evolved. Before, years ago, he used to be, look how far he hits it. He can spin a far and out of the rough. And now it's like, uh, he's going to course manage these guys. Oh, that. yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I, I was watching something on YouTube the other day, and it was like six minutes. of. Actually, if you guys want to look it up, it's called, there's two of them. One's called Tiger the Artist and Tiger the Engineer. And uh, in one of those, they're about six minutes long. Colin Montgomery from the 97 Masters is talking about how much further Tiger hit it than him. Now, in 97, he hit it 320. And mm. Colin was hitting it 270. And Colin said, you know, I I was hitting it pretty good, but he was 50, yard, 50 yards by me. And now, in 2020, guys are 50 yards by Tiger all the time. That age is a scary thing. You better be a strong person to get old. It's not for wussies. Uh, Patrick, Reed's a pretty strong character. You and I spoke about this on the phone. Man, you got to have a pretty tough mental game to be the most reviled, talked-about guy in the game. Absolutely. And and so in the week that Brooks Kepka calls him out, and, yeah. you know, Brooks got some uh, suasion, shall we say, and then Peter Kostas, Kostas piles on with that thing. What did he say? Four times he's watched Reed cheat? He was on a podcast uh, and said, yeah, I've seen it up close. Yeah, so so he gets called. So the week he gets called out on that, you know, as much as it goes in the interweb world, uh, becomes the talk, the swirl, and he wins that week. Wow. You, you know, whatever you think of Patrick Reed, you got to give him kudos for that. Well, you know, a lot of us, human nature being what it is. Uh, being spiteful and... No, I was going to say being, you know, caring, caring more about what people think than you'd like to admit. Right. You know, valuing others' opinions to a greater or lesser degree, and we all do, uh, in some manner and fashion. And to be a kid, to be a kid his age, you know, whatever he is, he's still a kid <laughs> to you and I. Compared to us, combined years, thousands. Yeah, and we're, we're literally twice as old as him. So he's a kid. <laughs> to, to be able to... And he can say what he wants. I don't pay attention. But he's heard it. And uh, it's a pretty closely knit group. But, you know, even Bryson DeChambeau the week before, you know, sort of acknowledged that he feels for Patrick Reed because it ain't easy doing what they do, especially when people are talking shit about you all the time. Yeah. I, and particularly in social media. I mean, it's just like someone has a, a, a mean thought about you and boom, it's around the world in 60 seconds or less. Yeah, I would say less than 60 seconds, Tim. Yeah, less than 60 <laughs> seconds. And, uh, and, having been, and having been in a sort of job my whole life, and, and again, not to compare my job to yours, but I've certainly had my... I would say a greater share of criticism that I could even point you to. I've got full discussion groups about how shitty our show is and how I think I'm funny, but I can also point to you, you know, a, a lot of other nice things that are said. And the thing is, you have to, you know, sometimes you have to kind of go, well, 
it's it's uh, it's easy to think the people that say terrible things about you are stupid and that the people that say nice things about you are so smart but really yeah. they're just the same people sometimes the people that don't like you are having a bad day mm-hmm. absolutely yeah you know and i've thought about that over over the last 10 years of social media but i had a facebook account because of a radio station in 2006 so there's been a lot of so this is what I, I'm trying to say that in knowing what what it feels like when people criticize you in public, it's tough to uh, imagine what he must be thinking when he goes to the golf course. Oh, like, yeah, that's absolutely. pretty tough stuff. Yep. Yeah. Talk about having to put up some armor. But it's so, sort of similar when 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 I go, not quite the same yet at all, but. As a as a leader and as a performer, there's risk. And when you go up on stage, you basically have a target on your back. You're taking the you you take the risk that arrows are going to be shot. That's part of the risk you take when you when you do that. Um, and if you know know they're going to come, then I think you're able to withstand them a little bit more. But there's some that must really really sting. You know, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and listen, we all have, uh, we all are, you know, you're open to criticism no, no matter where you go. Um, as golfers, like, like, so, you know, he's been accused of cheating. Peter Costas, who's no lightweight, says he's seen you do it four times. And he may not have heard the direct quote, but he's heard that Costas said some stuff about him. So every time he goes into the rough on the weekend, I don't know yeah. about you, but I was thinking... You know, are they going to, you know, and are they going to show it? ISO cam. And the ISO cam. ISO cam. ISO cam. I do find it curious, though. Golf announcers are so different than other sports announcers because if, you know, in hockey or whatever, or, you know, other sports, you're sort of supposed to get away with things, you know, penalties for cheating. Or, yeah, you know. yeah. But announcers in golf are so careful, you know, not to say anything too disparaging. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, well, it's like a guy's got a wedge in his hand and hits it to 20 feet. Great shot! <laughs> no, that wasn't a great shot. Yeah, but in this case, you know, it's one of the biggest stories in sports, and they're talking around it as opposed to... They don't even want to say the word cheating. They want to confront it. Well, yeah, yeah it's, you know, I mean, who who was doing... I guess it was NBC that did the uh, weekend, and just fascinating hearing them dance around the word cheating. And... Mm-hmm. You know, because it's because there really isn't there's very few. And we've talked about this on Swing Thoughts a bunch of times. Very few things that can scar you for life in this game than that. But the thing about Patrick Reed and it, that's what I, I'll just close this Patrick Reed essay by saying it. It really was confounding to the critics that this guy gutted it out. Amazingly so. And one. Yeah, th- do you think there's a little bit of fu in there on Patrick Reed? Ron? I think there's fu every time he hits a shot. Every, that's his. <laughs> you know what? If if in inside his complicated, you know, head, it's all fu every yeah, time. Well, uh, you know, and I think that's part of what we talked about in our phone call this week. In that complicated head, yeah, I just don't know that people uh, people go, Patrick Reed's a jerk. He's a cheater. All that. Well, you know what? I think Patrick Reed is one complicated dude. 
And I think he's had a very complicated life. And so how do we know what stuff's gone on in his life? You know, in his, you know, his family's torn apart. Um, you know, there's estrangements. That stuff doesn't come from someone's decision to snitch a candy bar in a, in a, in a variety store. Great point. That's serious trauma yeah. and, and wounding. And yeah, okay, if that sounds like, uh, you know, I don't know. Doesn't sound too, like anything. Too liberal for you. <clears throat> Tough luck. Uh, I, I just think that um, he's been through a lot. So maybe we could just have a, a degree of understanding before we uh, point our bony finger. Uh, you're a jerk and a cheater. And just well, maybe have a degree of understanding. It doesn't excuse what he does. But I think just the more awareness we have. Well, they gotta, you know, I, I just think it's hilarious. All these golfers generally are fairly conservative bunch who don't mind the fact that the guy leading the free world is the biggest cheater on the planet. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I can I could I could name five off the top of my head, not the least of which was Trump University, no tax returns, paid off a porn star, hundreds of contractors trying to sue him, and he's on his third wife. Yeah. So that's what I mean. We're all a little bit hypocritical. I can't believe Patrick retreated. Yeah, but you voted for Trump. Exactly. So, you know, is there anything more hypocritical than the Christian right in the United States? Is there a bigger pack of cheaters than them? So I think we can all just I think we can forgive a guy that fluffed up a lie, maybe, you know, (laughs) there, sir, there's there's. There's some perspective. There's <laughs> like, some perspective. Thank you. That's why you're golf spiritual leader. Uh, no, you're really. above the fray. Because I, 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 when we were talking this week, I totally, I mean, I don't want to tell the story now, but, you know, when we were talking about somebody else that we know, and I said, you know, there's a, there's a reason sometimes in golf, and it's not about the game. It's about something inside you that's, that needs fixing, that, uh, that you can't handle the the triple bogey that you're about to have. So you drop a ball or you say, I found it, or any number of things. Like, I, I saw this thing on YouTube. It's pretty funny, actually, about all, yeah. all these ways to cheat that I, I never even thought of. Ah. But, uh, you know, like, we talk, one of the reasons we love, I think, doing this show is that it's about how do you react when things go awry and that golf really has gone by many names but one of my favorite for the game it should just be called chaos like mm-hmm. it 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 cuz then you would accept that every day you were going out to play some chaos and uh you know I if you want to segue now to my recent you know medical uh thing I I will tell you that and I said this to you on the phone a lot of you know, a lot of what I've learned and worked on for a long, long time, and not just since we met, but for, you know, from the day I found Rotella's book in 95, I've spent the better part of 25 years, you know, reading not just golf psychology, but just psychology in general. And, you know, everything from, you know, uh, Dan Harris got me into meditating, and I'll say it, uh, meditating as opposed to meditating. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, a lot of it is like when it's e- life's easy until it's not. You know, Roger Maltby's quote always rings true for me. Golf's an easy game until you care. There you go. 
You know, you so, can be you can be the funniest guy in your group, and you can be the you know the guy, the kibitzer, the guy that tells jokes at your friend's party. But you know, go on stage at nine o'clock at Yuck Yucks. Just you know, it changes the perspective, and yeah. that really is what it's all about. What's your perspective? And as you said, you know, we can all stop shaking our bony fingers at Patrick Reed while Donald Trump is in the White House. Yeah. I think one of the key, so there's a whole bunch there really good. And so, yeah. Um, so I'll invite us to go there. You, uh, you talked about the medical thing, so we should go there, but just real quick about yeah, that, go wherever you want, man. We got to, well, well, it's about learning about that perspective. And, and so you and I read a lot of books and, you know, gone on courses and things like that, but it's from experience that we really learn how to deal with the chaos. And so you've had a uh, a recent run in with that. Well, you know, as a golfer, well, I'm going to just say to our listeners, I'm really glad that I'm looking at your smiling face, man, because there it could have been, it could have gone the other way. Yeah, without being too dramatic. Uh, but before I, you know, I'm just going to back up. You know, I, I've had you know several summers in a row now of getting better dealing with the chaos on the golf course. But you know, when it's your health, it's like, oh well. Well, this is weird. Anyway, I won't give you all the background. I, I think I'd mentioned on the podcast that I got a little bit sick in the fall. In fact, at the end of the Canadian Senior Amateur, the last couple of days, I wasn't feeling very well. I'm not making an excuse for shooting 80, <laughs> but uh, I just was off. You know, I no really didn't. Listeners would love to shoot 80, but <laughs> no. But you know what I mean, like <laughs> yeah. I had a couple of rounds. The last couple of rounds, I just couldn't quite access it, and I, you know, I stuck it out. I. But they were tough rounds for me, and I went to the hospital. The, the tournament ended on a Friday. I was in the hospital on a Saturday. Had a bunch of tests. They said uh, they found something. After a few months, they I had an you know uh, had a scope, and it turned out that I had some gastric erosion from taking. They thought from taking a uh, pretty heavy duty anti-inflammatory. And they also found a little arrhythmia, which is just a little skippy on your heartbeat. It makes me feel like my chest is fluttering. And so and then I had a bunch of tests, and everything came back great. Stress test, echocardiogram, actually good stuff for guys our age. Um, I was turning 60 in January, so I sort of thought, hey, this is great. This will be a good kind of checkup where my heart's at. But I, And then they also, in... Uh, those exams found out that I had something called a sliding hiatal hernia. Have you ever had a hernia? Nope. So a groinal is when in your sort of groin area, your your stomach bulges through your whatever, but in your chest, what it does is it also can mimic heart problems. And so they thought, oh, that fluttering must be that. Anyway, so quickly moving forward, a couple of weeks ago, my girl and I, we go to Tour Striker Golf School. Awesome. Great time. Phoenix, Arizona. Our boy, Marty Chuck, who was, I've known Marty since uh, we were both uh, young, young men. I was 30 when I met Marty. He was like a 22-year-old, you know, kid. And he has really become, Timmy, I'm actually going to send you, I I took some pictures, not of his house, which is beautiful, but of his golf lab. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's where he shoots a lot of the videos that he puts up on Instagram, cameras everywhere, but just the... It's the kind of thing where I wanted to, when I was there, I said, oh, Timmy's got to see this because like it, we, I'd never leave. You'd never I would only ever be in that room. It's just insane. 
You were geeking out, uh, um, Timmy, in the golf lab. Every gadget, that. everything, every alignment—it's just insane. Plus, he's just the greatest guy, great teacher. And so we go to the school, and um, for the first couple of days in Phoenix, I was starting to, and I hadn't, fe- I hadn't felt this feeling for a while. This fluttering in my chest, but every time I would feel it, I'd go, oh, that just must be the hernia thing again. And anyway, we go to school Wednesday morning on the range, feel great. You know, he's, he's got like uh, 10 students, including me, three coaches and him. And uh, I'm on the range getting warmed up and I'm starting to feel that fluttering feeling and no big deal. Morning session goes fine. But then we sit down for lunch and for the first time, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Now, I say for the first time because looking back, I have maybe experienced that before but never so uh visceral and i have two or three of these episodes of course like a guy i don't tell anybody thursday we'll thursday this but i go back on the range because when my heart is in when it, my heart's very strong uh it just has like an electrical problem we'll get to it so same thing happens thursday but now i tell rachel i should just sit i said hey fyi i feel like i'm gonna pass out I don't know if that's right. <laughs> that's probably not the best. Same thing happens Friday. Friday night, we finish. We go to uh, another hotel. We leave. I was actually staying with Marty at his house. So we leave Marty's place, go to a hotel, Valentine's Day. In the middle of the night, now I'm having what are called runs, meaning that this fluttering won't stop. It goes on. And the thing about this, this is the term now. It's ventricular tachycardia. And what it is, is when your heart goes boom, boom, bump and those those runs are usually in my case four five or six seconds but now i was having them at 10 seconds 12 seconds the thing about them is if you have extended runs of them and that's why golfers when you see those machines around golf courses and convention centers and restaurants now the aed machines those are defibrillators i always thought those were like oh someone's heart stop clear they are but what they're also for is if somebody starts to tach- have a tachycardic attack mm. there and you don't get their heart back into si- sinus rhythm, rhythm, which is what I which we cardiologists know is that regular rhythm. If you don't get them back into sinus rhythm, they die because the ventricle part of your heart is the part that pumps out the blood to the rest of your body. And if it's if it's doing the if it's doing the vibrating thing. What it's not doing is sending blood to your organs and brain, and then you just die. So during the run, you're not getting the proper amount of blood to your brain? So what happens, yes. So in in my case, what I could feel in the middle of the night was I could feel, and I was having them laying there in bed, and I could feel my blood pressure drop and then all of a sudden fire up. So in my case, luckily, I never got to the part where I was going to pass out. Uh, in those cases, but I was also feeling very lightheaded. We get up the next morning. We're about to drive across the desert to Palm Springs, where the rest of our vacation was going to be. And I just said during breakfast, and again, the weird thing about me is in between these feelings, I was feeling great. You know, out nice being out in the weather and, you know, not shoveling anything. And now we're going to go going to go play a little golf, you know, whatever. And uh, all that. So I just say, you know what, maybe I should go into a walk-in clinic just to have them check me out. And on the way to the walk-in clinic, you know, I, I know the old cliche, everything happens for a reason. They could have turned right, could have turned left. But it just so happened there was a sign. I saw an H, not for Howard, 
saw the hospital sign, and I said to her, I said, you know what? Forget the walk-in clinic. Let's just go check it out at an emergency. It was Saturday morning at 9, and I didn't leave the hospital for six days. Wow. And I uh, had every test you can have, and uh, it turns out that I had what's called idiopathic ventricular tachycardia, idiopathic meaning without any other kind of associated, didn't have a heart attack, don't have heart disease. The plumbing part of my, my heart, which is all the, the parts that get bunged up with plaque and get clotted, that was great. In fact, I had so many tests for two and a half days, again, including a cardiac MRI, which I didn't even know was a thing. I had a yeah. nuclear imaging thing where they you know, put blood, uh, a dye through your blood to watch how your plumbing works. Everything was great. So what mine was, and I was born with it, it's just basically some of the pacemaker cells get, as, as your heart forms embryonically, check that out. What, what happens is your little cells, as they're going towards the pacemaker part, just get stuck near your What's ventricles. pacemaker part? That, I mean, you said that earlier, and I was a little confused, but I'm still Well, there's confused. a part of your heart that is, controls your pace. That's the pacemaker. The, it controls the, the blood pressure. The rhythm. But, and the rhythm. But, but as your heart's being formed in embryo, sometimes a bunch of cells will get stuck someplace where they're not supposed to be. And the weird thing is, I've had these feelings my whole life. When I was 20, I moved to Vancouver, thought I was having a panic attack, went to a doctor. When I was 30, I came to Toronto. Because and now they, they were anxiety, maybe, but the actual physical thing that was... I've had four or five of them. In fact, some of my male friends that have known me my whole life were kind of like, hey, sorry for mocking your fake heart attacks. Because... I did. I called. Listen, when I was doing the morning show at the edge in the 90s, I woke up in the middle of the night feeling these feelings. I said to my ex-wife, I, 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 we got to go to the hospital. Fire people come, EMS. But as soon as that episode's over, my heart goes back to perfect rhythm. Oh, so you feel weird, too. So yeah, they um, schedule. I mean, it's a lot. of. I'm, I'm just shrinking the whole story down to the some of the better parts. So I, I make a decision to stay. It turns out the guys that were at that hospital in Phoenix are reputed. Even my doctor in Toronto had heard of a couple of them to be the best people in the States. Some of them that do this thing that I had done, which is called an electrophysiology heart mapping with cardiac ablation, which basically just means they go in, they find the little cells that have gone rogue, they zap them, they say stop that, and then you're done. Now, like I have a high probability of never having anything happen to me again because they fixed the part that was misfiring. Now, I, we have a couple of good friends, Tim and I, that have had some real, not that this isn't real, that have the cardiac classic heart attack massive heart the blockages they had to have a stent put in or a shunt they're on the cardiac health program i'm like yeah. eating 7-eleven chicken wings going whatever you know what i mean like i don't i'm everyone keeps saying so i guess you have to w w worry about your diet i'm like no because it wasn't the plumbing part of my heart that gave me this trouble right so i have a uh, an obvious question how do they get into your heart to do the zapping. I, I thought you were going to say the obvious question is, will this affect your backswing? No. The answer is no. 
No, it's more important to know about <laughs> club head speed. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so what they do is they, you know, like they, they, it's called catheter ablation. They go in through your groin, not your pee-pee hole. They go in through your groin, and uh, they go up through into your heart. Through, the, the, through your piping, they kind through of Through your piping. Up. And what they do is, and it's about, it took a long time because they, they can now map the area of your heart. I'm showing my hand. So mine was around the middle of my heart. These little cells were off to the middle there. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they stimulate them. And in my case, they couldn't get them to stop. So they had to shock me back into rhythm with the, with the TV paddles and everything. Were you awake for that? No, sir. No, sir. Okay. But I'll tell you what. When I woke up, I'll just show you. I had a giant circle on my chest. You got bruised. I, no, I got burned. Like it, oh. it, it made a little impression. Oh, wow. So uh, they got it. They zapped. So they found that part where my where the cells were and uh, they zapped them. And then they tried to get my heart to make that tachycardic thing again. And they couldn't. So they know they got the part. Oh, so cool. want to hear. The, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, I've had a lot of laughs. I had a lot of laughs throughout the entire thing because I was on the cardiac floor out of 60 odd beds. I was the only patient that could get up and leave the room because I was walking and I'm walking around in my street clothes. I had a long sleeve shirt on so you couldn't see my medical bracelet. I was hooked 24 seven to a, a cardiac monitor, but I could fit it in my back pocket like a, a cell phone. I was t- think I'm literally walking around like I'm one of the doctors. I actually went and visited a patient because she was alone. She didn't anybody. So I just go visit her every day and have sit and chat with her. You know, the, you know, the young kid that emptied the garbage every day. I would do these. I would just do laps around the floor uh, just to keep busy. You know, he yeah. hugged when I left. He hugged me. We're like buddies, you know, um, <laughs> I, li- I literally uh, got to be friends with one of the doctors and he was on his rounds. And I said to him one day, I said, Dr. King, walk with me. And he goes, really? Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so I was having a pretty good time. Oh, I, I know. I could just imagine you would just be like kid in candy. Oh, store. I loved it. Yeah, because you're having a gas with all these. I people. love medical stuff, you know. So we go. I well, no, I'm going to tell you the nights weren't great because I didn't realize you could ask for drugs to put you to sleep till I was there about four days. Oh. Um, and then I got some. And even then, the problem is on the cardiac floor. They wake you up Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They woke me up every. They woke me up at midnight, at four, and at seven to take my blood and my blood pressure. So I wasn't sleeping great. Yeah. But uh, and some and in between some of those, you know, I was wondering had I made the right decision staying. But the nurses are so nice, right? Yeah, but still, it's the middle of the night. Those were my sort of the tar- the darkest times for me. It was like I wasn't sure if I'd done the right thing. You know what? What do you mean darkest times? Well, be like where you're like, you know, it's the middle of the night. And uh, should I've gone back to Toronto? Uh, should but you know, like should I maybe come home and have the surgery here? I, all those I didn't know any of it. I you know, there's a. The surgery has some risks to it. One of the risks for me was they weren't sure if the one area they thought it was in, there might have been other areas. So if they, I'll give you some more medical jargon. It's, it's, they're either monomorphic, meaning in one place, or polymorphic, meaning in many places. And if they are, if there are too many places, what they, what they can't, they, they can fix most of it, but then they have to insert an internal cardiac defibrillator, which I would have in my chest for the rest of my life. Yeah, well, I always think with doctors about, you know, 
well, this is this. And I went, well, that's your best guess, isn't it? Well, in my case, uh, several different doctors told me that I had about a 20 or 30% chance of having that. And I looked at it this way. I went, well, it's, it's that versus dying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm cool with that. But, it did, you know, it takes you a while to kind of process that. In fact, on the day of the surgery, uh-huh. it was kind of like I felt like I do sometimes just before I go on stage. I was kind of pacing around. I was excited because I wanted to have it done. But right. it's also like, all right, let's like they, they, they picked me up at 1130 off my floor. But I woke up at 730. So I had lots of time to kind of, you know, be anticipating this. Or, you know, it's like when you go to a tournament or you have a an exciting event you know, I didn't. I wasn't dreading it, but I also was. A, I, I made peace with the fact that they might find that I need to have something implanted in my body for the rest of my life. And I was like, "Well, what a, okay." What a strange game this is. The analogy is a guy's going to go into heart surgery, and the analogy is going to the first tee to tournament. Absolutely, because I'll tell you what. <laughs> It feels like that, you know. It's yeah. like I don't know what people expect. You know, I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh my God, what was me?" I wasn't wasn't doing any of that. I was kind of like going, "Okay." Um, I made peace with the fact that they were going to tell me uh, that I needed uh, a, a defibrillator. I'm like, okay, I'll just be that guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, this is my favorite part, actually. So I go and and this isn't like you know when people say procedure, they think it's like I went to a doctor's office and they did something. They took off a thing. Like yeah. we're talking a full on operation. There are 10 people in the operating room. It's lights everywhere. There's computer screens. Cause they've got, it's most, it's all done remotely. So she's my doctor, my surgeon's looking on a screen, finding the spot, stimulating it with this thing. But while they're getting me ready for surgery, I've got, you know, you can't see it anymore, but my arms are bruised from all the, the, the needles and the IV. And so the, anesthesiologist comes over, explains to me what she's going to do, and there are a bunch of young people with ponytails talking to me about this and that. And uh, I would just tell you, so before we went on vacation, uh, my girlfriend was saying to me, oh, she was going to go get, you know, an, she had an appointment to do some, you know, appointment stuff that girls do. So I said, oh, well, I know what to do. I'll surprise her because I will just tell you as a, you know, man in the world, I, I trim things up pretty good down there. But for our holiday, I took it like right down. It's just a surprise. Her. So wait, wait, you'll love this. Who knew at a golf show? Who knew at a golf show? We'd be talking about rough height yeah. of a different kind. So exactly, it was like it was seriously. It was, I was stimping thirteen. <laughs> it was, it was like fresh cut, a double cut, stimp. Like a high, very, very fast. So are you, at I don't, the age, are, you, are you at the age now you, you, you have like uniform color or? <laughs> no, it's, it's salt and pepper. So I go into surgery and I don't even think about this because remember, I've been wearing street clothes for five days, but now I have to go get a hospital gown on, no underwear so that, you know, they can do surgery. So I'm on the table. And they uh, are talking to me. All these people are talking. And they're all crowded around me. And the nurse comes over and she raises my gown and puts a cloth over my main junk area. And she says, Mr. Glassman, you know, we're just going to have to shave your groin. And I said, don't worry, Nurse Miller. I'm surgery ready. <laughs> and, uh, and there was a pause. And then everyone in the room just fucking cracks up. Like, I'm going to tell you, I've had some good laughs in my time. Like, I've made people laugh. But I will tell you, when I said, don't worry, Nurse Miller, I'm surgery ready, just the look on everyone's face before they lost it was worth it. <laughs> it was- oh, exactly. This is, this is what I, I was just dying to ask you. 
you know, like here you are, you're rolled in to the into surgery. There's ten people. There's an audience there. Absolutely. Talk about an opening. But it was the perfect, you know, like I've been using that line on the show for years to describe taking it down to the wood. I call it surgery ready. But here I actually was. The two (laughs) things came together. And I can tell you as a comic, there are a few times where the, the line and the moment intersect so perfectly. So then I, that's all I remember. Uh, A couple seconds later, they hooked my IV up to uh, the drug and they put something over my face. And um, then I woke up in recovery, felt great, a little bit woozy for about an hour. I was in surgical recovery. Then about an hour later, I was in my room. Uh, Girlfriend and uh, daughter were there. And they tell me, like, it, it was a bit of a blur then. I was, it took a couple hours for me to kind of focus. But I, I'm not sure if I said this to you. Have you ever seen the movie Marley and Me? Uh, that's where the dog dies. Dog right? dies. But, but the thing is, the dog dies, like, right at the end. And then the lights come up and all the men and <laughs> blubbering, right? Well, for the two hours I was in my room, I said to somebody, I said, it was like watching Marley and Me on a loop. Like it was just, I just, I would, my daughter's, my youngest daughter FaceTime me. She was doing my, she was doing an impression of me the other day. She goes, daddy, every time I would talk to you, you just look at me and this go, mm. it was just blubbering. And then I got hungry and ate and that was it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, so, so that's the sort of story. I mean, there was a bunch of other things attached, the, uh, you know, nervousness about insurance, which was covered and. You know, and nervousness about it. I, I wore it for a week. I had to wear, coming home, I had to wear a, uh external defibrillator because they just, just just in case nothing happened. Is that like a little flak jacket thing? It looks like, um, it looks like you're wearing a sports bra. Ooh. But you're with, but there's all these things attached to it and the, and the battery pack is kind of like a 1970s tape recorder. Like a, like a thick, you know, oh, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. tape yeah. recorder you ever saw, but a smaller, yeah. like, like a cell phone sized, but really it's, and basically what it's there for is if I had an event where I passed out, oh. it's, I, I did the training. They have that literally the representative comes and spends an hour with you and you, they take you through a, a they put it on um, practice mode. And this voice says, stand back, stand back. Don't touch the patient. And then it blasts you <laughs> with a shock, and wow. you he, you never feel it because you basically if you ever if you ever got to that point because prior to that it'll tell you if you're having some runs and then you can just shut it off, but if you get to the point where you can't shut it off, it will shock you back into consciousness. Boy, and talk about consciousness! Don't ever scrimp on travel insurance, people. Yeah, man. Oh, because oh. um, I don't even want to tell you what it is. I found out what the. I found out what part of the bill is yesterday, not including one, one, one the million, <laughs> not including the anesthesiologist, not including the emergency doctor, not including the cardiac MRI, and not including one other test, which is covered by insurance. Right. But not including those things, it's already at one hundred and forty nine thousand U.S. dollars. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. People, people go bankrupt from stuff like that because okay, you could either die. Or sell your house, have a, have a big bill. Yeah. So, you know, you, and, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm it's a little bit stressful because I'm 
Like, I'm like, ah, what? I thought all this was covered. And it is, but I have to get a hold of the insurance company. I've already sent the forms in. And, you know, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to take it as it comes. Like, I, I know all those things are covered, uh, but there are, you know, someone will have to talk to somebody. And, you know, it'll be a little bit sort of stressful until that's all settled. But I can tell you, in, in general, it was, for me, uh, a great experience. I know that sounds crazy, but I believe that. And I said this to my daughter who came to visit me, which made me cry. I said to her, you know, one of the things I know from being 60 is you can't have experience without experiences. And a lot of people try and avoid experiences uh, because I can be, as you mentioned, you know, it can be, you know, you have you feel like you have a target on your back and a lot of not, you know, listen, we're all judged, but not everyone wants to put themselves in harm's way. I've never told the story in the podcast, but when I first learned to fly, I got to about 100 hours. And in aviation, they call it the 100-hour scare. It's the Mm. thing that happens to new pilots when they just get over the novelty of it, and they're starting to get a bit cocky. And it happens between 100 and 150 hours. Little scares. Things that you go, ooh, geez, I didn't expect that. But in my case, Howard Glassman case, I literally almost died. Now, instead of quitting flying... I went. I, I signed up the next day to learn how to be a better pilot, but sometimes experiences can can change you for the worst. Right? You could quit. You know, you and I both know from being around the game of golf. Like, we know lots of guys, or have heard of lot. Everyone's heard of some guys. Oh, that guy doesn't play anymore because he just couldn't hack the game, couldn't handle the fact that the game can be shit a lot of the times. It's the experience where the where it's, where growth happens. It just there's no way around it. You can't learn it from a book, from a from an online course. You That's just right. Can't. And it just reminds me of a, there's a line that a friend of mine um, that I just use constantly. He says, "I never learned anything on a good day." Yeah. <laughs> well, because it faces because when you have crisis, when chaos erupts. When you're kind of looking your demons in the face or possibly, oh, wow, could I leave this mortal coil? Suddenly, the, you're, you find an extra gear to deal with the real things that face you in your life, your real demons. And, and, the, and now the choices are a bit more stark. It's pretty, like, True. you know, could I lose my, you know, so I could keep doing this or, oh, lose my business, my wife, my life, whatever. Or so. Sometimes it comes to that to take. It's too bad, unfortunately, that a lot of people have to be faced with those stark choices before they finally do something for themselves. But I, I like that word choices because I've used it several times over the last couple of weeks. I said to uh, my team, my girls, and I said, you know, you have a choice. Sometimes it's unconscious, but you oh, have yeah. a choice in every moment how you're going to be. We know that from the, our game that, you know, you can make a nine, and I always use the example, can, you can make a nine, you can, but you, you, you can make a two on the next hole because I've done it. I had a conversation yeah. yesterday with our friend Dr. Ed Collins from uh, Ireland. Oh, cool. I had a little chat with him. We were talking about that. He said, you're, 
you're we were talking about what are what I'm going to work on this summer. And he said, you know, Howard, we know you can handle the chaos. We just have to get you excited about playing boring golf. <laughs> I said, yeah. that's yeah. a great way to put it. He says, you, you get we get that you can handle when adversity shows up. He said, but now can you get just as excited about making a bunch of pars and and not making a, a nine? And I said, yeah, I'm going to try. Which is a different it will be a different experience for you. You're going to find yourself in situations where, again, you're going to be at a choice point if you have like a degree of awareness. For a lot of people, unfortunately, they just it's they're in reactive mode their whole life in business and golf and dealing with their teenage kids. It's just something happens. React at a certain point. You can develop a sense of awareness and go like, oh. Well, I could go down this path or I could choose to go down this path. And a lot of times the old way feels a lot better because it leads to a result or it's just more comfortable. But I really know if you're if 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 I'm really able to sort of really detach and just kind of like really look at it, go like, nah, that hasn't worked in the past, so why will it work today? So I'm gonna choose to go this way, even though it's a little newer, it's a little weird, or maybe it's a risk, but this is the choice I'm making. And it's a hard one. Um, yeah, well, so that's the story. I had a, a great, you know, I had so many great moments in that hospital. It was really something else. Uh, oh, one, I can absolutely. One of my favorite that wasn't as funny, but it was very meaningful is, so my daughter came in from New York on, she got there like Tuesday at around noon. And, and how she, sweet of her to come to visit you. That's dude, awesome. Like, both of my kids are just showed up. My, my youngest had a school project literally working on that week. And she, you know, she said, Daddy, I'll, I'll come. And I was like, Spencer, don't. This is, I, I don't need you here. And I didn't want my other daughter to come because she literally flew from New York to Phoenix, back to New York, stayed in the airport, flew to Savannah, Georgia for work. Then she flew to Fort Lauderdale because she had a... a weekend scheduled with her grandmother i mean the, the, it was i said oh, you don't yeah. need to be here anyway but on the day she left she literally got there tuesday left wednesday night i f- was at a surgery at say five and she left about seven and by this time i'm up and around again it's crazy you know they go and they zap your heart and then i was like anyone want to see me juggle anyway um <laughs> and uh i i bring uh, charlie and rachel together i said come here you two and I gave him a big, I said, come on, group hug, group hug, right? I'm all huggy and weepy. And I just said to them, I looked at them both and I said, listen, nobody is ever going to know what went on here except the three of us. What really went on here? No one's going to know what it looked like. No one's going to know what it was like being with me and us. And I said, just don't forget that. I said, this is the stuff that bonds people. And I said, we're always going to have this. And I said, just don't forget that because it meant a lot to me. And I said, I'm going to I know you'll look back on this, but just don't forget that we're the only ones that know what was actually like being in this situation. And then, of course, they all start crying. We all cry. It was great. That's awesome stuff, man. That is awesome. And what I love about that is it's such um, it just underscores the the importance of family. And I know that's. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true, though. But it's a hundred percent true, and that and that and and there's oh well I don't know there's a lot of people who die alone in this world from loneliness because of some petty thing that happened you know twenty years ago and this brother doesn't talk to the sister and the mom and the dad don't talk and yeah oh my god and it's like oh 
it's just I feel blessed that my family we got this I feel happy for you that you have that and you know so well you know it's funny how uh, I totally agree and and, uh, you know my brother I you know I I sort of told you I think you were on the the, the, I, I, I didn't tell anybody for two days I didn't tell anybody Saturday Sunday I told nobody in my family, I didn't tell my kids because I really wasn't sure what it was. I just thought, like, I know something's really wrong, but I really wasn't sure until I knew what the courses of action in front of me. And then I sent a note to a few people. <laughs> it's my favorite. So there was about, I don't know, my kids, my older brothers, and a couple of my friends. And then I think I sent you the second day I sent you at you as well. So, so you know, of the first ten people I told, you were you were one of them. Hmm. Um, but I also so. didn't want to tell you the truth. The reason I didn't tell forty people, I just didn't want all the interaction. I didn't put it on Facebook. I didn't. Yeah. I'm in the hospital. Please love me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just yeah. didn't want any. I didn't want so a like lot of that. The beach is your Cuban wedding. <laughs> but you know what? It's like sometimes people will. I'll see those things from the hospital, and it's like I don't, I don't know, dude. Get just get better. So. Yeah. But I put in the subject line, and I, and I wrote a long explanation, even longer than no, I know people are going, really? Longer than this? But I wrote a long email explaining where I was, what my options were, what I had, and how serious it was. But the subject line was, hearts can be fickle. So two of my best friends, one is Dan Duran. He doesn't read emails, apparently, because I don't hear from him all day. Because he just said to me later, he goes, I don't know, I, I don't really check my email that much. I'm like, oh, lucky you. And my second friend, best friend in the world, Jeff Lumby, who's a hilarious, he tells me the next day, he said, I saw it, but I just thought it was some dopey poem about golf. <laughs> which, which is one of my favorite lines. So the that's next time, hilarious. that's why when I send it to you, it said, serious cardiac shit. Exactly. In big, bold letters. Your reaction was hilarious. Why are you yelling? I'm like, oh, Timmy. (laughs) Tim, poor Tim. (laughs) That wasn't me, but that was, that was, I think actually it was Lumby who said, why are you Oh, no, but yeah, no, Lumby, Lumby and I have this running gag that the two of us are all, you know, actually, you know, you met him. I was, he was the guy I was having lunch with at Dan Guelph or in uh, Milton. But anyway, that's, I just didn't share it with a lot of people because mostly I just didn't want to get a whole bunch of interaction going. And of course, you did end up getting the interaction going because because you know you and I uh, in golf we're have, we're running much the same circles and it's like you know I'm talking with you know some guy at Glengarry Golf Club and it's and it's like oh he probably doesn't know about Howard all right and like really oh my god I know I got I I will say I was like it's pretty crazy we talked we started the show um, talking about social media and people criticizing you in real time, you know, and, uh, but I also can tell you the um, sort of the interactions I, I have had, not just with people that don't know me, but with people that do know me. I mean, it's, it's pretty sweet, you know, it's like, it's pretty nice to know, you know, whatever, however I think I'm going around, like I'm, 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 I'm certainly, I've got great people around me and it was a real visceral, kind of you know um our friend from uh one of our biggest fans on swing thoughts is a guy we've mentioned from time to time his name is uh, brad chillette right oh yeah brad 
Brad's a sweet guy. So Brad oh, absolutely is. Brad Great heard the guy. Brad heard me talking about this on the Humble and Fred show, and he says, uh, "Just finished listening to Howard's cardiac episode. I absolutely love the motto Fred uses: attitude is everything." Because he was talking about my attitude, mm-hmm. and he said, um, "I wonder if, on a subconscious level, you two hold each other accountable with the motto: attitude is everything." When you find yourself in situations that are different or uncomfortable. And I would tell you that, you know, if nothing else from today's, you know, episode of Swing Thoughts, just to remember, you know, what's really important. I know that's simple to say, but whether it's a cardiac episode or, you know, you're having a bad round. If we could probably say that this is the show is swing thoughts, but it should be called attitude is everything because that mm-hmm. is really the raise. It's the it's the secret sauce of it all. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic or you're about to give a presentation at Toastmasters. By the way, congratulations. Um, attitude is everything. You know how you go into something. And as soon as I was admitted in an emergency, I'm like, well, you know, I never I never caught on to the cliche that people love their, uh, it is what it is, but I did for a couple of days. I literally would look at Rachel every couple of minutes and go, well, this is what they mean. <laughs> She'd say, yeah, what are you yeah. talking about? I go, it is what it is. Supposed to be in Palm Springs, having a great time, but this is where I'm at. So mm-hmm. let's have a great time here. So I think that may be also called perspective. And, True. And when you're facing you know, tests or, you know, the possibility you could be looking at the white light. Um, there's some perspective. So, so it'll be interesting to talk about this as the golf season gets underway. But one of the things that happens, I think, when we face real crises or, you know, you're at a funeral or this stuff goes on and you kind of go like, there, there's perspective. It, it's, you know, I say it's cliche, but things are cliches because they have meaning and truth to them. And so much of what things like this do, I know for me, when I get, I had a tough week. I'm not going to go into it, but, um, you know, I just got so caught up in my own stories, you know, and, and like, oh, I'm this, I'm that, blah, blah, blah. And then just kind of realize when I am able to kind of step back from it and get some perspective, I went, God, that's, that's all just a bunch of fucking horse shit, you know? And it's like, I heard a great line this morning and, uh, it was from uh, this woman, Byron Katie, and she talks about similar to us. She talks about the stories that we tell ourselves, the belief systems, all that. And she said, reality is almost always kinder than our stories. It is what it is. <laughs> That's the reality you faced. Yeah. And I think sometimes people act under pressure the way they think they should act versus how they you know, it's like we, we, it's like sometimes we have this societal default, like, oh, uh, like if, if it's serious, we have to be serious. And I was like, well, I tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to ride this however it shows up for me. And you can say, well, that's, you know, you were covering your true emotions. Like I told you, I had some rough spots. I had some incredible emotional moments like I, I, I'm not even doing it justice when I told the story on Monday about telling my daughter and girlfriend that you know I wanted them to remember this moment I broke down on the air I couldn't get through it I'll, I I'll tell you I know we've only got a couple of minutes but you know that thing that happened 
with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Leafs Zamboni goalie. I mean, it's an amazing story. But if you want to, I tell you where I also teared up is watching Brindamore's speech to his players. And he said, he said, it's about the stories that you collect. And he said, I want you guys to basically the same speech I gave my daughter. I want you to remember this moment because later when their career's over, this story is going to be attached to you forever. And I love that speech. Absolutely. This morning. I'm just looking at my phone. You know, I'm a hockey. I, I'm not a hockey nerd. I I like hockey, so I'm going through my Sportsnet feed, and um, Leafs. Okay, Bobby Ryan scores hat trick, and it says Bobby Ryan breaks down. So I press the the highlight package. I was in tears by the end of it. Here he is, his game back. The guy has battled alcoholism. Um, you know, it's been really really tough comes back storybook stuff scores a hat trick the fans are yelling bobby bobby and he just breaks down on the bench <clears throat> and i went wow that's yeah. awesome and and that, so that's the story because there's and you know it's it's not that he was you know alcoholism is a very serious thing you know about this um but it's just the the fact that he was able to you know come through and and um persevere and stay with and the people who who loved him still love him his teammates his they were all there for him and for him to have that moment that coalesces into a story that can be told people about have perspective and that you ride through and see the best in yourself and everyone yeah shit can work out all right there, Brother T. Uh, I guess that's where we're going to end this episode. Uh, uh, very, you know, I, I like this episode. It was fun. Fun for me. Oh, absolutely. And I love the fact that um, you know, there you are going into surgery. And it's it's almost like in dark moments. We can just, like, humor is amazing. And then <laughs> you saw the opening bammo and you just step right in that is fabulous that's what it's all about my brother tim uh, o'connor i always love your blogs how do people get them O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, Fred, and you can come in if you want to get my blogs. Sign up. And that means you automatically go in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, I'll let everyone know the uh, Fred Man is back from a month of vacation in Mexico and an all new episode of the Humble and Fred Show on Monday. I'll see you guys next time. But you don't see too many faces.